Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Today continues our three-week teaching series, Titus. This book will captivate and will also convict our hearts. Knowing is just not enough. We must do something. Welcome to week number two of Titus. And we're actually doing a very simple thing with this series. We're just walking through a whole book of the Bible. And Titus is a very small little book in the New Testament. But here's what it tells us. It tells us that knowing is not enough. Knowing about God and facts and information and stats is not enough. We must actually do something with what we know We must act. And then the rest of the book really pushes us to begin the process of acting. So knowing is not enough. Knowing's good. It's okay. We have to know some things. But it's not enough if we stop there. We must do something. So there's two main characters in the book. There is Paul. He's the author And he's the writer, and Paul is this big missionary guy that back in the day was traveling around the known world, planting churches and encouraging leaders. That's what he was doing. And so he writes this little letter to Titus, and that's the book that we're unpacking. Because Paul had sent Titus to an island. It's called the island of Crete. It was a corrupt little place, and he sent Titus there to do great ministry and help the churches there kind of make a difference. And as part of that, Titus had to tell people on the island of Crete who were in trouble and didn't always act the way that God wanted them to act, that knowing is not enough. We have to start doing something. We have to do the right things. So Titus is kind of Paul's protege, and they're having a great conversation here about the things that we have to do. So last week, we said this, do something, do something. Identify the things that peel you away from running with God. And certainly there's all kinds of stuff in life that peels us and takes us away from God. And chapter one identifies those things and then gives us some stuff to work on. It gives us some stuff to do. So here's our big idea for today. Here's like the whole thing. Do something. So we're going to hang on to that. We're going to use that phrase. Do something, like develop a spiritual plan, and then run with it. Knowing it's not enough, we have to do something, like develop a spiritual plan, and then just start implementing that thing. Now, I think it's fair to say that we're pretty good about developing plans in life. We're all kind of planners, and some people are better at that than others, but we all get involved with this. Like if we have a problem at work, we put together a plan, and then we run the plan. If we have a problem at home, we put together a plan. If we run into trouble financially, we put together a plan, and then we begin to implement that. But unfortunately, we often fail to do that when it comes to our spiritual life. Like when it comes to God, 
It kind of just is what it is and whatever happens and maybe we go to church a little bit here and there and something will happen, but there is no real spiritual plan to increase my relational closeness with God. It's just kind of whatever. And so we want to do something. We want to develop a spiritual plan and everybody's going to have the chance to walk out of here today and do just that. You know, I can vividly remember something that happened to us several years ago, and it involved a plan for our family. It's when we were still living in Illinois. And so it was November, and the kids were on their school break, and Cameron and Clarice, our oldest kids, were just kind of running around doing all kinds of stuff, and we thought it would be a great idea if we did something as a family together. We got a little bit of time, let's put a plan together. And so we put this plan together where we would take the kids and our youngest son, who had just been born three months prior to Thanksgiving, and let's put everybody in a car and let's go into the city of Chicago. So we hadn't been in for a while, and we thought it would be fun to do that, and so we gathered everybody, and this was our great plan. There's stuff to do there. There are things to see. We want to figure that out, so let's go into the city. So we traveled in, and it was a great plan. It really was. I mean, I had it all mapped out. I knew where I wanted to park, and we got there, and there were no traffic issues. I had this great place, and we got out of the car, and we started to do things and see things, and we were having fun. Caden was in the city for the first time, and he was loving it. Like I could tell as a three-month-old, he just loved being there. And so we're having a great time. This is our family plan, and we're loving it. And everything was fine until one of our daughters, Clarice, started throwing up. So nothing ruins a plan like puke, right? I mean, nothing. And I've got all kinds of stories about puke. As a matter of fact, I want to write a book someday. And one of the chapters will be titled, Puke, because I've got so many stories. So Clarice starts puking all over the city, and now the plan is ruined. It's not going to work, so our day is done. Let's get all of the kids back together. Let's go back to the car, and now I have to give up my perfect parking spot because the day is over, it's ruined, it doesn't matter, let's just get home. So about the time we start the journey back to the car, falling from the sky in November in Chicago is freezing rain. But it's not just falling, it's actually falling sideways because the wind had picked up and it was fast enough to carry away small children, like my small children. And so we're running through the freezing rain and we're dodging people and we're stopping a couple of times in stores so Clarice can throw up some more. And so we do that and we finally get back to the car and we start the process of driving home. But of course, the freezing rain made traffic terrible, and so we were sitting there for a very long time. And then our other daughter, Kaylee, started to throw up in the car. So now we have two kids puking in a small little car, and this is not good. We're stuck. And so finally, we make it off of the road. We find a gas station. We take the girls out of the car. We're cleaning them up. We're cleaning the inside of the car, and people at the gas station are looking at us like we are cracked up nutcases. It's a bad plan. A bad plan. 
sick kids in a city, it doesn't work. And if you want to have a good day, then you've got to put together a good plan. And that's pretty much what Paul does for Titus in chapter 2. He just outlines this amazing plan. And then he does something that's amazing. It's actually brilliant. He begins to speak to different age groups and say, here are the different things that older people need to do and need to think about. And here are some things that younger people need to think about and some of the things that they need to do. And so today, in a very unique way, we're going to speak to every age in this church. Every age. It's going to hit everybody. You know, one of the things that I love about Valley Point Church is that we have generations who worship here. There are multiple ages represented in this room. We're not like all just one age. And I think that is a great, great thing because you can always know that there's somebody who's further down the road than you that can help you avoid stepping in a lot of messes. And we have generations who worship here, and it's a great thing. So we've got singles. They're here. We have married couples, married couples who have kids, and some married couples who don't have kids. We've got students, those who are still in school. And then we've got babies and babies, more babies, and they keep coming, which is great. And then we've got empty nesters, they're here, and we've got retirees, all kinds of people at Valley Point who make up different stages of life. There are generations that worship here, and I love that, because no matter where you're at, you can identify someone who's been there and done that, and they can help you along the way. And guess what? No matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, we all have a role to play in the church. And so we want to develop a great plan here based on Titus chapter 2 that does not involve throwing up. All right, we're going to avoid all of that together. We're going to speak to every age, all of the generations here, and we're going to think about this. There's something, there's something for all of us to do. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 2, and you can follow along in your Bible. You'll also see these words on the screen. Paul writes, As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect. You could also use the word dignified there. It's what older men need to be and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love, which would include concern and compassion for others. And they need to have patience. Patience in dealing with younger people who make mistakes. So that's the older men. Now, we're not going to define older. You get to figure that out on your own because we'll get in trouble doing that. If you're older, you're older. If you don't think you fit into that category, then you're the younger set. And if you don't think you're there, well, we've got even something else for you. So again, something for everybody. And this is what Paul says to Titus. Hey, encourage the older men. Encourage them to be dignified and to have concern and compassion. And encourage them to be full of patience towards the younger set. Verse 3, 
Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. So Paul starts chapter 2 by speaking to some different age groups here. I think there's a unique notion in our culture that older people are supposed to have their time and their day, and they're supposed to do their thing, and then they should move on and get out of the way so that a younger generation can come up and do their thing and have their time. That's kind of what we think. Older people, do your thing, move on. Younger people, you start the process, and then it just keeps going. And that's pretty much the exact opposite of what we find here in chapter 2. See, with age and experience comes wisdom, so much wisdom. And when the unavoidable trials of life begin to fold up on younger people, who better to help them than someone who has already walked through those kinds of storms in life? So let me just say this. If age is on your side, if that's you, then God's not done with you yet. If you have age on your side, then God is not done with you. As a matter of fact, you may be needed now more than ever to help younger people avoid some of the damaging choices and help them navigate a troubled world. So don't be intimidated by speed. Don't be intimidated by technology. Get right in the middle and just say, hey, guess what? I know a few things. I've been there and I've done that and I want to help you avoid stepping into a huge mess. Just insert yourself into some of these conversations. It'll be a good thing. A couple of weeks ago, an older gentleman here at Valley Point talked to my wife after our gathering. And this is a guy that I love and I totally respect him and he's been very encouraging to me. So he's talking to my wife, Tanya. And he said, hey, you be sure that your husband starts walking or something because he's gonna get high blood pressure because he's not getting any younger. And I love that. I think that's a great thing. And I'm like, how did he know that my blood pressure is actually beginning to creep up a bit? But see, that's a great conversation. And if age is on your side, embrace that. Enjoy that and don't be intimidated. Get in the middle and just offer what God has done for you. Here's verse four. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children to live wisely and be pure. Now I want to pause there for a moment on that word pure because this was a major problem in this culture for men and for women, for those who were older and for those who were younger. Last week we talked about the people on the island of Crete and they were lazy and they were gluttonous and they were mean and they were cruel and they were also very free sexually. They just didn't care about this thing. And Paul writes to Titus, and he says, look, you've got to get with them, and you have to lift up the banner and use the older generation to help with this. Lift up the banner of purity inside of marriage and outside of marriage. It's a good thing. Verse 6, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. Here's what the younger guys need to do. And you yourself, Titus, 
must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. So young men are to live wisely, means to be pure, and their lives should reflect a growing sense of integrity where there are no gaps in character. All right, so we've talked about older men, and we've talked about older women, and younger men, and younger women. Maybe you're thinking, not that interesting. I don't really see anything in there for me at all. So let's speak to one more category. Verse 9. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. Slavery in this culture was just a pretty significant thing. Lots of slaves all over the place. And so as Paul writes this, he knows that some slaves will read this or have it read to them. It was just a big thing on this island. And many slaves would have been followers of Christ and would have struggled with that whole relationship. And so Paul writes and tells Titus, encourage them to act this way. Now, we're not dealing with slavery, thank God. But I do think there is a great application here for those of us who respond to someone else and work for others. Like we have to report to them. We have to give information to them. And they actually tell us what to do, and they hand out our tasks. I think there are some things here that we can learn from what this has to say to slaves. All right? So here's the deal. They must not talk back, if you continue on in verse 9, or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good Then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. Now, here's the deal. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and now workers, people who report to others. All of this is shared because how we act as a follower of Christ is very important. Again, we can't just know things. We have to do a few things. And so here in Titus chapter 2, we get the plan. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and workers, it's all right here for us. And every day, we have the opportunity, no matter how old we are or how young we are, to let other people get a picture of what a follower of Christ looks like when we're on mission where we have been planted. See, when we think with a missional mindset, there's so much that we can accomplish everywhere that we go. So I want to think about this for just a second. Let's tease out. Let's unpack living on mission. All right, so we've got God. He is the creator and the inventor. He is the one who is over everything. And we know that we ultimately report to him. So we've got God. Uniquely, one of the greatest ways that we can be a bright light and make a real difference in our circles of influence, one of the greatest places that we can pull that off 
and be on mission is at this place. It's at work. We all have amazing opportunities in that context to be bright lights for God. Often we don't think of it this way. There's like God and he's doing what he's doing and we respond to him and then I have my work life and I kind of do that and maybe God doesn't interact with me so much there because that's not God's work. That's kind of my work and so we tend to split these things out. But when you walk through the pages of scripture, these two are always together. There's God who is over us and over all and then there is this work thing and I don't know if you notice the words. Uh, verse 9 and 10. But here in chapter 2, we've got this wonderful plan that basically tells us, at work, be obedient. Don't steal. <laughs> like That's not a good thing. And be excellent with everything that you do. And by the way, when you do that, Verse 10 tells us that you're going to make the teachings of God very attractive to other people. Notice there's no exchange of words here. There's just obedience and no stealing and doing excellent work. And when we do that, when we implement verses 9 and 10, we have the opportunity to be on mission and help a whole lot of other people find their way to God, whether we're older or whether we're younger. In his book, Live Sent, You Are a Letter, Jason Dukes, the author, kind of lays out several different ways that we can know if we're living with a missional mindset. So I want to share four of these questions with you. And as I share these questions, I want you just to think about yourself for a second and where you're at and how this impacts you. So here's question number one. When you speak of church, what pronouns do you use? Do you say, this is my church, it's where I go? Or is it, that's their church, that's what they do? Question number two, when you think of missions, do you think of a mission trip to a distant city, or do you think about daily life in your community along family, neighbors, and co-workers. So is it about going somewhere else or is it about going to the place that's directly in front of you? How do you define missions? What does that look like to you? Question three, is my tendency to disengage from culture and retreat into safer environments or is it to engage culture even amidst discomfort and danger? So do I kind of pull back and get into a safe place where nothing will bother me? Or do I get energized by the thought of going into a place that maybe is dark, where God's light has a chance to shine bright? One more question. When you think of a friend who needs help, do you think I need to find someone else who can help them? Or I wonder what I can do to help. So somebody else needs to do that? Or what can I do to help? I actually got a text a couple of weeks ago from a friend who's getting ready to move. And he wanted to know if I would help him move. Well, I haven't responded to that text yet because in my mind, I'm thinking of all kinds of other people who need to help him 
with that because is there anything more fun than helping someone move? Yeah, there's a lot of things that are more fun than helping someone move. But the heart of this is when someone needs some help, whether that's a physical thing or a spiritual thing, do I try to toss them off on someone else or do I offer to help? See, here's the thing. Your life matters to God. I really want that to sink in. Your life matters to God, and God can use you wherever you're at, but you must be on mission where God has placed you. Now, why? May I bother with all of this? Verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. That's an incredible list right there that tells us some other stuff we need to do. Like put this on, in this world, live with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. Chase that. Verse 13, while we look forward with hope, to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So here's the deal. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. This is what Paul's writing about. He's like, newsflash, God is ready to give and forgive all people, even the people of Crete. Even us, right? I want you to think for just a moment about a time in your life where you really sensed and you felt the forgiveness of God all over you and you just knew that that forgiveness was real. Can you think of that time? See, God's program of being in relationship with people is rooted in this deep word grace. It's his free favor and spontaneous action toward people towards all kinds of people who need to be redesigned and transformed on the inside. And this is what has been revealed to us. So verse 11 says, it's a very unique word. That word revealed means that God is breaking into our world. And here's the result of that. It's a really good result. Salvation is available to all people. It's incredible. It's true. Salvation is available to all people. You're a liar? That's no biggie. God says, I can forgive that. You're lazy? God says, I can forgive that. You're rebellious? God says, I can forgive that. You're impure? God says, I can forgive that. You don't feel forgiven? Then trust, because God says that's exactly what you are. And don't feel like God is there for you during your time of need. Just relax, because salvation is available to all people. Wow. So here's our takeaways. Here's kind of the plan that we all can develop now. First of all, pick your spot. Just pick your spot. You know, no matter your age, God has something that he wants you to specifically do. God has something just for you. 
Think about it this way. Embrace your station of life as a gift from God. See, it's kind of unique because younger people always want to be a bit older and older people always want to be a bit younger and people in the middle are always kind of confused about where they should be or how they should feel about the whole aging process. And I think God just wants us to embrace our station of life as a gift for we have something to offer to everybody no matter how old we are or how young we are. There's something for us, so pick your spot. Secondly, Enjoy the fact that God likes people. We could actually say it this way. Enjoy the fact that God really likes people. And one of the ways we can live this out is to approach each week with a missional mindset. Like everybody around me, they may be annoying me, and I might not like them, But I understand that God really likes all kinds of people. God likes everybody. And so I will approach my week and I will approach the people around me with a missional mindset because I'm just going to enjoy the fact that God likes people. We don't. I don't all the time. But God does. And so we've got to trust in that. We have to rest in that. And we have to go there. Enjoy that. God really likes people. And then thirdly, Just decide and implement. I mean, write down a simple thing, an action step, a plan that will increase your relational closeness with Christ. And don't overthink it. Don't make it too complicated. Make it something that you can do this week. Why? Verse 14. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. There it is again. There's action. There's doing. Because knowing's not enough. Knowing's okay, but we have to do something with it. So we need to be totally committed to doing good deeds. Verse 15. Titus. Here's the deal for you. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. So why do this stuff? I mean, why pick your spot? Why live with a missional mindset? Why decide and implement? Well, it's because he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. And if that's what he's done for us, which he has, then we probably should just do what he says. Do something. Do something, like develop a spiritual plan and then just run with it. Just run with it. You know, every week on your connection cards, there are opportunities on one side to take some spiritual next steps. And in a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to do that. And I want you to know that we don't put that down just to fill time, like it's something to do at the end to kill the moment or something like that. We do that because we want you to think about taking a next step. And today, all of those steps are tied to what we've talked about. Picking your spot. Embracing your station of life. 
living with a missional mindset, or maybe you want to write something else down that God is kind of whispering into your heart right now about a real spiritual step. I want to encourage you to think through that, and you'll have some time in just a moment to respond to what God is saying to you. Do something. Do something, church. Develop the spiritual plan, and then just run with it. Have a great time running with what God gives to you. Father, we are so thankful for our time this morning to look at the second chapter of Titus. There are some great words here that just speak of what we need to do and how we can't just know things. We have to actually act and implement. And so, God, I pray in a real way in this time frame here that you would help us all to really chase that and to desire that and to want that. God, there is something here for every single person. And Paul, in just a marvelous way, kind of breaks chapter 2 into some different age groups. So God, it's for all of us. No matter our age, it's for those who are older, those who are younger, it's for students, it's for all of us who work. God, there's a category, so help us not to think about somebody else. Help us to place ourselves into this chapter and to decide and implement. God, I thank you so much for this time. Use your word to change us and help us become more obedient to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9, 15, and 11 a.m.